This is Talking Ears. My name is Frank Wardinger. This week's guest is Kitten Karai. She tells the unbelievable story of her ascent from a lifelong, passionate, but private music maker to a professional singer recording and touring with A-list artists such as Natasha Bedingfield, Engelbert Humperdinck, Nikki, and Elvis Costello and the Imposters, just to name a few. In 2020, she won a Grammy for her work on Elvis Costello's album, Look Now. She's been an internationally touring professional for about 15 years, so I ask her about how she keeps her ears healthy while on the road. Also, we talk about her upcoming album, American Refugee, which was inspired in part by how her perspective of touring and traveling has changed over these years. All the music heard in this episode is by and or featuring Kitten. When I was a little child, I sang in like the choir, you know, went to, I grew up Baptist, so I was in the choir and that was kind of a compulsory thing. Like most kids were in the choir. That was the babysitting for the parents being in choir. My grandma sang, but not professionally. Like nobody that I personally knew really sang professionally. So I didn't even know it was a career. I just thought it's what we do. Like I literally thought every human being on the planet could sing. Mm-hmm. Like it did not cross my mind that that's a, a talent or a gift or something that people can learn. I just thought that's what just just what you do, right? Cause your smile's not the perfect disguise When I dream of you You have done, it seems like, just everything now with your career, or at least everything that you can do as a singer and producer. After speaking with you last, I was looking through kind of what you've been up to. I mean, theater, the stage stuff, obviously, with big-name people, just huge. Uh, studio stuff, your own music which is eclectic to say the least. I mean, you cover <laughs> you cover the gambit as far as what you do. What is it about music? What brings you to to make this your career, to make music and singing kind of what you want to do? That is a very interesting question. I don't know that I have a clear answer of like I guess music has always been my whole life like I've been singing since I was in the crib like my mom would sing me to sleep and then I figured out oh I like this and so then my mom would have to try to get me to stop singing so I could actually go to sleep so I don't know a world without music or or singing so I guess I'm just I'm naturally drawn to it that's just me that's just who I am like my friends tease me because I sing everything even if it's just little sing-songy voice you know like I'm gonna take out the trash let's go take out the trash like I have to sing everything we were just talking the other day that my house sounds like a musical all the time because we're just always singing stupid stuff and my my four-year-old just said to me the other day and maybe you relate to this or hopefully she relates to you at, at some point she goes daddy I've got a song stuck in my head and I'm like what song is it she's like I don't know I'm writing it like, she's just working on stuff constantly yes. and like, whatever, it's fun. That's 
That's me my whole entire life. So then how do you go from that, that kid who's just insatiable about music to uh, sitting in front of the Grammy that's behind you? Me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to drop that wild, Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much. And actually, I just got it framed so that you could see it <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> that's Proof. great. Receipts. Um, <laughs> so it really wasn't until my late 20s that I had the opportunity to sing on a higher level. I would sing in church choir, and then I sang in a choir at my university. But I still didn't think of this as like, this is a career, you know. I just <laughs> I sang happy birthday to my friend mm-hmm. on her phone, left a, a message, my high school yeah. classmate. And then weeks later, she's like, hey, Natasha Bedingfield is looking for background singers and I'm going to be on it. And I'm looking, we're looking for an additional person. Can mm-hmm. I put your name in the hat? And I was like, okay. And I didn't know who Natasha Bedingfield was at the time. Mm-hmm. Like I'd heard her songs, but I didn't connect them to the person. <laughs> I just thought it was like, oh, you know, somebody from her church or something. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and so, and then I get, you know, a call that was like, can you send us like a resume? And stuff. And I was just like, I never thought, like I said, I never thought of music as a career. So then I had to sit back and think, what are all the things that I've done mm-hmm. with music? And I was able to put together a resume. And that's when I started being like, oh, I actually kind of do this, you know, and I happened to record a um, a demo for a friend for the Pussycat Dolls oh, cool. where I was singing like all these different voices yeah. to sound like a whole bunch of di- I still didn't even know what that was or what that meant or that it was really getting pitched for the Pussycat Dolls like I didn't understand anything about the industry mm-hmm. submitted that to our tour manager and then the guy was like great can you come to <laughs> Vegas next week and I was like okay <laughs> And I'm thinking it's an audition, like, you know, you've got a golden ticket, American Idol style. You get to go stand in this long-ass line and audition and hoot and holler. I didn't realize that that was the gig. Like, I got the gig. So I drove myself to Vegas because I guess they said, we'll fly you, but I chose to drive. Because I'm thinking it's an audition. Like, if I I get cut early, I can drive myself back home. (laughs) I get there, and it's like, you know, checking in to Caesar's Palace. Here's your room. It's a suite. I'd never been in a suite before. I'm like, what is happening? You know, they were like, I had all the songs in advance. So I sang all the songs down. Like I could sing Natasha's parts, every background line, everything. Cause I didn't even know what was going on. Sure. I just super, I remember being in this like big, deep, luxurious tub, just <laughs> playing her songs over and over and over and over again, committing them to memory. And then when I get downstairs, it's like, hey, welcome to the Consumer Electronics Show. We are performing for the grand unveiling for the John Lennon Educational Tour Bus. Uh, all the press is there. Yeah. Yoko Ono is here. Here, meet Yoko Ono. Here's Will I Am. Here, meet him. Sony's like, here's all this free stuff. I had no idea. And I didn't even meet Natasha. until a few minutes before we went on to do our first performance and she goes okay do you know this song do you know that song let's harmonize dot 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 great wow you sound good in fact you have all these harmonies that aren't even on the record that's great let's go and that was how my career began
after that weekend, the tour manager with the hit that's very thick, his name is Pip. He's awesome. Very thick British accent, like the kind, like very, very gruff. These are real human beings that actually talk like this. <laughs> like I wasn't used to that. He's walking me to my car in the parking lot. And he's like, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll call you if, if, you know, if we need you, we'll, we'll call you. So I'm thinking like that's, you know, the Hollywood mm -hmm. We'll call you. And this is right. my reference is only movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is the whole don't call us. We'll call you. And I'm like, well, this was a wonderful, magical weekend that was cool. And then the next week it was like, OK, here's the tour <laughs> schedule for the next six months. You will be flying here, there, everywhere. Da, 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 da. You know, we're going to make you a star, kid. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, amazing. what? And like, you know, you hear of these things happening to people when they're like 18 yeah. or something. And I'm like 27 or something, 26, 20, 27, yeah. whatever. And I'm like, but do you um, think, I, I mean, maybe that I feel like this is something Juan and I talk about all the time, but like, I feel like maybe that, uh, maturity age, mm, the, mm -hmm. the ability to handle yourself in those situations and not make a total fool of yourself and thus keep the gig. Um, uh, that's got to be part of it too right. right i mean i think so i think so as well um and also there's something to be said with being completely caught off guard so you have no idea what to expect you know it's like if yeah. your teacher gives you a pop quiz and you have been actually doing the work the whole time you're like oh we're having a pop quiz well let me go ahead and do it versus if the teacher's like in three weeks we are gonna have right. a quiz now you're freaking out you're thinking right. about every single I didn't know what the heck was going on. So that, in addition to probably also maturity. It's so funny because I feel like I hear two different stories of like the beginning of like these, like a bottle rocket type career like that. The beginning of it being either you work for 10 years trying hard and then you're about to sell your guitar when you get that phone call from the gruff manager. That's the one story. The other story mm -hmm. is what you just said where it's like, they just plucked me off the street and here I am. Yeah. But there's got to be something there because, look, I've listened to your music. I've listened to your voice. Everybody who hears your voice probably has the same response, which is like, well, obviously this this person with this voice <laughs> should be doing big stuff. Of course. I feel like so much of that is is natural instinct, natural talent, especially with the voice. But the voice is also an instrument that you got to work on. So you clearly put in the time and effort into it. Can you tell me a little right. bit about like before you're 27 and picked up by a huge tour, Natasha Bedingfield's at the top of the charts at the time. Um, I mean, I'm, I was signing babies. That's how <laughs> how big she was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Literally yeah. signing babies? Literally, people were handing me their babies to sign. And a Sharpie. People were starting fights in the audience over my half-drunk water bottle that I'd sweat, it all, sweat all over on the stage. Like, Oof. That, that's because a Because I'm close to her. Yeah. That was wild. I feel that. Uh, that's incredible. 
what what was your kind of lead up to that right. though? Yeah. Were you practicing at the time? Were you doing your own music? Were you Well, let's see. So before that, I literally was singing at the house. I was writing songs like when I was a kid. I was mm. like, I'm gonna write a song for Janet Jackson. I didn't even know that was a thing, but I'm gonna write a song for Janet Jackson. I'm gonna write some songs for In Vogue and Mariah Carey. So I'd write all these little songs yeah. and sing all the time. I liked watching Mickey Mouse Club mm-hmm. and singing all of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got older, um, I was still doing it. My friend, I had a friend that came late in the year. Her name is Pam. And Pam's like, I like to sing too. So she would come over my house and we would write songs. Like it was like, we didn't even submit them to anything. We didn't know, but we would just write songs. We'd write silly songs or like I would get, we would bring our singles. Cause remember like singles would have yeah. like the full song acapella and then the instrumental. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would look at the instrumentals and I would just write a new song to the instrumental. Oh, and this cool. is before that was a thing. Yeah. 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 So I, so we would sit there, we would write song cause we couldn't, we didn't know how to produce. We, you know, I could play a little bit of piano, you know, but not mm-hmm. enough to be like, here I am, guys. Let's, you know. Mm-hmm. So we would write songs to that. And um, then when I got to college, I met, uh, I was in a choir. It represented music from all of the African-American diaspora. Mm-hmm. So there was jazz, gospel, R&B, and hip-hop, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it was meant to be an educational choir. So when we would do performances, it was like a presentation about black music through the years and how it's influenced other things. So, oh, that's awesome. That was the first time I had the opportunity to really be trusted to do a whole bunch of solos. In fact, I wasn't even asking to do them. They were just like, you there, you're doing the, so I'm doing the solos. There's that manager voice again. (laughs) (laughs) You there. I'm doing solos. I'm like the section leader of the choir. Even when I was in, when I was in high school, I had a short stint of being the youth choir director. Again, I didn't ask for it. Mm -hmm. Someone was like, you there, you know, and I guess I have a natural ear for it or something. And so, I mean, I've always kind of found myself in music. It just wasn't necessarily on some grand scale or me thinking like it was going to be a career or one day I'm going to get a Grammy. You know, I I didn't even know what tours were. Like, I didn't watch those MTV behind the scenes things Mm -hmm. where you're like, look at Bon Jovi's tour bus. I didn't know about any of that Mm -hmm. stuff. I just knew that Boys to Men existed and they had great harmonies, and yeah. I have no idea how they got to places or what they did. I just know that they they sang. So there's a part of my life that's always kind of, you know, found myself there. When I was, in addition to being in the choir in college, um, I started an organization to try to bring the entertainment industry to campus before it was at Cal State Fullerton before they had any kind of entertainment um, courses or anything like that I was like we should have this on campus and so I started off not necessarily well I was helping this mentoring program they were trying to connect black and brown kids to staff and faculty on campus to learn about a variety of different things and it was just kind of petering out and so they asked me hey what would you do to make things different and I'm like 
entertainment. Like, that's just where I naturally go. And so they're like, well, what would you do? And so it was myself, my god sister, and uh, we got an advisor. And we were able to transform this grant-funded mentor program into a grant-funded entertainment thing. So I'm working on how to write grants. I am creating proposals. I'm drafting contracts. We're reaching out to artist management to negotiate for them to come on campus. Um, I worked with the local um, internet radio that was like a hip-hop radio, hip-hop R&B radio. So they helped us to get artists on. We had an event called Minds on Music or something like that. And because mm-hmm. it was grant-funded, I it was uh, open to the public. So, you know, staff, faculty, people from the community would come and we would have um, a panel of music guests. And I would be in the audience fielding the questions and everything. And then we had a host, which was one of the DJs from the radio station. And after all the questions and stuff like that, we would have like a little break. And then there'd be a performance by all of the artists they would perform you know we would give them a stipend to perform and then they also could bring their merch and sell their stuff afterwards and and network with other clubs on campus and students and all this kind of stuff so it became a really big thing and then one of the artists a couple of the artists their PR people really liked me so then I ended up getting internships with big PR companies and, and, and entertainment company. So through that, I got uh, internships with BET, VH1, MTV, with this one company that doesn't exist anymore, but it was called BWR, which is like the hot, one of the highest, like the biggest PR firms in LA. Like they had The Rock, Jamie Foxx, oh, Britney, like all of these people. Um, and then every time it was somebody's birthday... I would sing my own version of Happy Birthday <laughs> the, in the, the staff room. The song that got you started. <laughs> I would sing in the staff room. And it's so funny because like no one was like, wow, we need to put her on whatever, you know. <laughs> that also made it so that when I was around celebrities, even though I was like, what the heck? I didn't expect this. I'd already worked so many different red carpet yeah. events and, you know, I'm in the the front about to ask somebody where a pencil was and like, you know, Nick Lachey walks in or Jamie Foxx or something. And so you have to be chill because mm-hmm. this is where you work. And I'm an intern, so I'm trying to actually have a job. Yeah. You know, but at the time I thought that was how I was going to be in the entertainment industry was through like events or PR or something like that. That's such a good start too to like to working in performance is to understand that kind of back world. And like you said, I I think that the ability to keep your cool when you're in these like high pressure situations where it's like, bam, there's so much stuff happening and you just got to keep your cool, like being thrown on Mm -hmm. stage with Natasha Bedingfield um, (laughs) randomly. Um, Like, that is a skill, right? It's a skill set. Just like just like your voice, it's a skill. It's an old saying, and you probably could correct me for this, but it's it's about opportunity favors the prepared. Is that something close to it? It feels right. It feels right. <laughs> Basically, it's not it's not luck because you were you set yourself up. You were ready for it. You know what I right. mean. Once you actually get that opportunity, the people with the with the power to give you the next gig are recognizing your talent and recognizing your sound Mm -hmm. and they're listening to you. And, 
You know, there's there's something that I want to go back to, and this this is the whole reason why I wanted to ask you about kind of your early life and your early time with music was it just highlights this idea that for musicians, those people that you see on stage for the listener, but for musicians, music isn't just like a job. <laughs> it's not the side yeah. thing. And for you, it wasn't even a job you were seeking out. It was like a thing that is in your blood and you can't like... You can't help but do it. You can't help but express it. And if, if you don't express that, something's missing in your life, right? Yes, 100%. Now every time you come around, you gotta bring the gym chains. Paul and Tyrone. See, why can't we be by ourselves? We had gone to the Rockwood Music Hall. And yeah. we did some stuff with Natasha. And then Natasha left, but the band was there. And also other awesome people from yeah. the other bands came. It's kind of hilarious because that's the first I was like so nervous because I was like, guys, like I'm singing on the stage in New York and oh my gosh, this legendary stage. And uh, interesting, fun backstory is that that was the first time that I had ever tried whiskey <laughs> in my life. And, you know, I'm surrounded by all these young women who are smaller than me. And I'm a small person. They're smaller than me. And they're just tossing back whiskey like it's juice. And I was like, oh, well, if they couldn't do it, so could I. So I am like, yeah, I'm giving you some Billie Holiday realness in that video. I mean, I was feeling it, but I was also feeling it. Yeah, I So, like, <laughs> the way that I changed the pocket wasn't particularly on purpose but it ended up being so cool <laughs> it, it felt natural it, it was so good i it's a clear it, it's a testament to how i'm just gonna be me no yep. matter what's happening yep. <laughs> and that reminds me of um you know i just read that that great interview that you had I guess it was just released as we're recording this. It was released yesterday, so that mm -hmm. for our listeners who want to do some sleuthing can figure out how slow we are at producing the show. Um, but you released a <laughs> uh, interview in Voyeur LA. You mm -hmm. said just an interesting thing, and I wrote this down because I was like, "That is good." You said that you uh, let me see this quote. You said you boldly share my beautiful, weird uniqueness with the world. Mm. I like that. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. I like that so much. <laughs> beautiful, uh, beautiful, weird uniqueness. Yes. I, I don't see your uniqueness as particularly... Well, everybody's got uniqueness, right? Everybody's got a mm -hmm. weird Z. Um, yes. Why do you think that it's weird, though? Well, first I will say that maybe you don't think it's weird because you're also weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> game There's that game. part. Got it. There's that Juan is like, yes, this is, she knows him. Wow. Has to deal with him. How? Um, my weirdness. I mean, I, I, I think that I'm weird. I feel like, but I honestly, I feel like a lot of us feel like we're weird. A lot yeah. of us feel like we're the only person that experiences life the way that we do. And then it's not the way that you're supposed to mm -hmm. based on what the, um, 
manufactured consensus of what being a human being is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I just, I, I think that I'm weird. I, I make weird noises. I do weird things. Um, <laughs> nothing is deviant or anything illegal. I'm just like. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you I'm, to admit anything on air. <laughs> you know, because like that one time, like, you know what I'm saying? Like the cops are coming, but I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, that kind of stuff. I am I I'm I'm weird. I'm different. I am a specific brew of tea. Nice. And if you can rock with me, then you're my people. Then nice. you're about as weird as I am. Nice. Well, and then that leads me directly into a specific weird individual who you uh won your Grammy that's sitting behind you for, yes. for singing on their record, Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. That's a person who we can all agree has a particular weirdness that has been weaponized for all of our joy for decades. Yes. Um, how did that come to be? That is also another random... Well, okay, nothing is really random, right? But it is a atypical for most people, but very typical for me, uh, story arc. So... Uh, <laughs> Music's not happening so much in this particular season. This was, I want to say this was like 2015 or the very top of 2016. You know, I didn't have all kinds of music stuff going on. And a friend of mine was like, she's a face painter. And she said, hey, kitten, you know, I've been asked to paint faces at Camp Mars. And for anybody that knows Mm -hmm. what Camp Mars is or was, it's a like almost like a summer camp for adults that love 30 seconds to Mars. And like Jared and them are just walking around all willy nilly and there's activities. Mm -hmm. And then like at the end of the evening, there is a performance. And coincidentally enough, I, the day before that, my friend was like, Hey, I have an extra ticket to camp Mars. Want to come? And I was like, okay. So I went to camp Mars two times in a row. (laughs) So I went and I was like, yay, camp Mars. The next day, my friend's like, hey, I'm face painting at camp Mars. I need an, I need a, not an assistant, but a partner to also face paint. Would you like to come? I was like, sure. I like 30 seconds to Mars. Let's do this. And I already knew where everything was. So it was perfect. And what's hilarious is like, I think I, I am not a face painter. I am an artist. I can paint things, but I've, I, you know, I don't have a business card that's like, kidding, could I face painter? Like, this is what I do. Um, but I'm like, I'm very much, I'm also notorious for saying, yeah, to stuff because I want to, <laughs> I'm very nosy about life. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. It's so, a good quality. You know, she told me what paints to have or to bring and that she had other things. And I just rolled up there with her. And, you know, we didn't have, we had a couple things like she made a couple little charts that's like, you know, some 30 seconds to Mars symbols, which are not that hard to paint. And then just any old thing. And so we would have people that would come and say, oh, I trust you do anything. So I am painting people's faces and they're just trusting me to lose my whole mind on their faces. They're like, I love it. And I'm like, yes, of course you do. Yes, you do. This is what I do for a living. <laughs> you came then- <laughs> to a cult concert. <laughs> of course. They yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally, totally. And Jared's there. It was just, I've met Jared a couple times. He's a unique person. But anyway, we're not talking about him. So anyways, I I had just finished face painting a person and they've all sauntered off to, you know, get ready for the performance, you know, and I get a call from a man named Tommy Farragher, who a few years before 
I answered a Craigslist ad about being a Facebook celebrity, quote unquote. And it was really like, do you have a thousand Facebook followers? And mm. it was like, yeah, I, I just said yes, because as we know, that's what I do. I said, yeah. And uh, most of those followers are my family. But hey, I they didn't give me, they didn't ask for more details than that. That's not what they asked. And so then I ended up connecting connecting with, <laughs> connecting with the, um, a casting director person. Mm-hmm. And then we did, uh, um, we did kind of like a, a mock, almost like a mock-up performance of this Facebook celebrity game show and to see if someone would pick it up. And it didn't get picked up, but I stayed friends with the um, the casting director person. His name is uh, Sam Kiwi. He hit me up randomly and was like, hey, the Oprah Winfrey Network is looking for African-American female singers for a reality show. And I put your name in the hat. So such and such is going to call you. I was like, okay, cool. I said, yes. The lady hits me up. The lady's like, our, our show is about surprising someone you love through song and dance. And I initially wanted to be my grandma because that's who I was staying with. And I wanted to say thank you. And she's like, that's all well and good, but that's grandma's. <laughs> they didn't think that was special enough. So then they said, are you dating someone? And I said, yes. And then they said, have you guys thought about getting married? I was like, yeah. They're like, how about you propose to him? And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> Hung up the phone. Two seconds later, I was like, what am I doing? Called them back up. Sure. I was just going to say, that's the this. first story where you said not yes. I said no, because I'm thinking like, he may, I don't want to steal the thunder from someone. No, that's, I yeah. don't want anybody to feel like I'm pushing them into something. But then I'm like, this is the Oprah Winfrey Network. It's not MTV or VH1, yeah. so it shouldn't be trashy. And worst case scenario, I get to sing on it and people hear my voice and I don't get engaged. Yeah, that's the worst case so scenario. So I went with it. Nice. And it was and it was fun. It was fun. It was great. Um, I worked with a producer named Tommy Farragher. And initially, that show was supposed to be kind of like the Glee format, where every time an episode comes out, the song gets released and you can download it. So it was a whole studio thing. So we did a cover of Janet Jackson's Love Will Never Do mm. and everything. Um, I did get engaged on that show, and it was great because he actually flipped it on me. I started to propose to him. He figured it out, got on one knee, he proposed to me. It was very sweet. Everybody was all surprised. That's how that panned out. So anyway, so there's that. Now let's go back to Camp Mars. I'm talking so fast. You might have to slow this. No, I love this. I was just going to say that your your stories are kind of like... I asked a question. I'm just going to hold on because this is so intriguing. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm holding on. No, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> it's like a ride. It's great. I'm giving you the Mission Impossible Tom Cruise version of <laughs> this story. So now we're at Camp Mars and yeah. I finished face painting. Tommy calls me. Yeah. Tommy's like, my brother, who is Davy Farragher, is going to call you. He is the bassist for Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. By the way... Tommy, or sorry, Davy and Pete played bass and drums on the Love Will Never Do track that we yeah. did way long ago when you proposed to your gut. I'm like, oh, okay, that's oh, cool. cool. So he's like, yeah, Elvis is looking for singers, so he's going to call you in the next few minutes, so answer the phone. So I'm <laughs> like, okay. So then Davy calls me, and Davy 
is asking me, can you send me some pictures? Can you send me like, what can you send me? And I had just updated my website and I'm really not thinking that I'm going to get this gig because I had my hair. It was like the sides and the back are shaved like more than they are now. Like you can, those Mm -hmm. of you that can see, which are just y'all too, it's like... (laughs) You know, it's it's low on the sides, sure. but you can't necessarily tell that it's shaved per se. Yeah. It's not. But this was like total bald on the sides. Yeah. And then I had my hair in this bouffant afro thing. Like it was very like kind of rock, like a black girl rockabilly kind of situation. Sounds awesome. And then I'm looking like very strong jawed and looking to the side and it's black and white and it's, you know, very. And I think the the main song was my song, Not Worth Saying, which is like, you know. Yes. And so I'm like, this man is not going to want any of this, but thank you so much for trying, you know. Because like you say, I'm very multi-genre as a human, and also my music reflects that. So I feel like sometimes people can get lost in like, well, where is she coming from? Does this tie in with me? And I didn't know enough about Elvis Costello to be like, this is him. This Mm -hmm. man is all over the place with his genre. Exactly. I I was just going to say that. Yeah. So I was... I didn't know. Like, I, I I knew who he was, but again, I didn't completely match it up with the music. So I didn't know. So anyway, Davey got back to me pretty quickly. I don't know if it was the same day or the next day, but he was like, he loves you. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you know of any other singers that, you know, would be great? And yeah, I mean, because he had never, Elvis had never had like dedicated background singers tour with him before. Oh, interesting. He has had you know maybe a person like another vocalist come up and sing with him Mm -hmm. for a couple of songs or maybe for a couple of shows but he's never had just straight up background singers he's had Mm -hmm. dancers before he had a whole tour where there was dancers he never had backup singers so our back i won't say backup singers i hate that term because we ain't just backing up we really out there but um featured singers yes and in fact the way that elvis treats everyone on stage with him is like everyone is a treat not just him Mm -hmm. you know like you're here to see me but also i'm stoked to let you know that i have all these other people Mm -hmm. here with me um he's like the curator of a variety show totally oh most definitely most definitely davy and i ended up really connecting very well so a lot of the songs that we performed on the road, Davey and i kind of co-arranged the background live background vocals for them Mm -hmm. and stuff and Pete came like he was serious business. Pete's the drummer. Mm-hmm. Pete came uh, to a couple of rehearsals and sat there with his arms kind of folded like, hmm, let's see here. You know, he's the most playful guy, but he was trying to look like I'm just serious business. <laughs> but I guess we passed the vibe, te- uh, vibe check with him. And um, yeah, and then next thing you know, I am performing with Elvis and he was just awesome. And one of our first performances that we did was like in new jersey in atlantic city Mm. and what was cool we performed the day after there was this chicago and earth wind and fire 
concert like together so this is like one of my first rehearsals with elvis costello and we are here at this hotel in atlantic city and this big tall black man comes in and he's like hi 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 and like i don't know if you guys are familiar but like there's not a lot of black people that come to elvis costello shows (laughs) um you know, yeah. I mean, there are some we out there, but there's not a lot. So like this lone black man comes in and he's like passing out his card and he's talking to the tour manager and assistant tour manager. And he's wanting to take pictures with us and everything. And like myself and the other vocalists are like, who is this random man? Well, he works with Earth, Wind and Fire. He and other members nice. of the band are big Elvis Costello fans. So they were giving us free tickets to come see them that night. To watch Chicago and Earth, Wind, and Fire share the stage. Yes. This is like, hi, welcome to the world of Elvis Costello. This is another level. <laughs> Hold on tight. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a ride. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Another thing that I found of yours was a video of you singing Allison with mm, with mm-hmm. uh, Elvis Costello on stage. And it's just you and the other singer, Brianna Lee. And it's such an interesting arrangement. It's just you guys busking around one microphone. Mm-hmm. Well, this goes back to kind of what we said before, which is like the thing that gets you in the door is your professionalism and you know your ability to handle yourself in those situations and all that stuff. But then the thing that keeps you there and the thing that makes the audience want to watch and it makes the person want to hire you for the next gig is just like, it's it's transcendent, the performances. And it's so, so well done. And everybody's got a touchstone of Elvis's music. Right. Whether they know it or not. But then the way that you guys kind of breathe new life into that, this like mm. 50-year-old song almost, is just, I don't know, it's really, it gives it gives you those good, those good chills, you know, when you yeah. listen to it. Um, so, I don't know if we'll be able to use it, but... Yeah. People should go look it up. It's, I mean, it was great. I, he had never done that before. Mm. And I feel like if I recall correctly, and Elvis, don't be mad at me if I'm not recalling correctly, but I feel like. Oh, yeah. He's definitely a regular listener on the show. <laughs> one of, yeah, every single episode. Um, but I, I feel like him. one of the reasons that he was really excited about having singers was because that was something that he's had in his mind for a long time was to have singer two singers flank him and break Allison down mm-hmm. into this really intimate moment. And, mm-hmm. and that's what he's just, he's had that in his mind for, I don't know how long, so cool. I don't know. I have no idea if he just one day was like, I want singers. So let's do this next week. Or if he'd been thinking about it for a while and then all of a sudden he's like, I think now is the time. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. But the first time that we had done it, I didn't 
I didn't know what to expect because I'd never been to an Elvis Costello concert. So I didn't know that it's like a staple song in his show and that that's some of people's like touchstone songs. Like that's the song. So when, because he has so many great songs. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I did not know that this one was a moment. Mm -hmm. So when we got up there, nobody knew the first time. Nobody knew what we were going to do. They're cheering, but they're also like, huh. And you also have to recognize that people are trying to adjust to seeing Elvis with these two women, mm-hmm. you know, um, and in some cases, these two black women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they're like, oh, this is we have something unique happening over here. Yeah. So, you know, and we're, you know, usually we're um, on the stage on stage left behind him on our own platform so here we are now walking off of the platform to the front to this old time you know microphone that looks really really cool he knows the name of it i forgot what it is he has a name for him too but i forgot what the name of it is but anyway so we go up there and people are looking like huh okay and then he starts singing and then they're like what is happening? Mm-hmm. And then when we go in to start harmonizing with him, people just freeze. They're just like, oh, what is yeah. happening? You know, some people are crying. It's just like a big old moment. The reaction was yeah. very interesting. And the thing is, too, when you're performing with Elvis, you kind of forget where you are. Mm. So it's not like one of those shows where you're like, I have to smile for everybody and everything is canned. Like you get to really be in the moment and be mm-hmm. in the music. And when you're up there and it's just him and a guitar, you have to really you're really flowing with it. You know, mm-hmm. you're it's you and your buddies yeah. up there. Yeah. You know. Well, so it was a very unique and cool experience. That's so cool. And like how it came about, like I, I wasn't there obviously, but I, w- I was thinking about this. I was talking with a, with a producer the other day who kind of gave me this analogy. Um, you know, I, I like to think of music as kind of in food analogies a lot because it's mm. very much like production and, and composition is very much like cooking. Like you've got ingredients and you're putting the stuff together. And he said that he likes to, like a chef, he likes to not think about what the dish that he wants to make is. He wants to look at the ingredients in front of him. What do I have? What are the strengths of these players? Let's create mm. the best dish possible with these ingredients. And I could totally see, and this kind of circles back to what happened with the Natasha Bedingfield situation with you is, and again, I'm rewriting history, but it's fun. Um, I could totally see him just being like, okay, well, now we have, so we have me. I know what this ingredient is. I got my guitar. I know this song. Everybody wants to hear me sing it. And I've got this new ingredient on stage and it just, it, what can we do with this? How can we make a better dish out of this song or a different dish? Mm -hmm. And that, that really was moving when I found it. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. You're the one who made it. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to listen. I'm digging a hole 
now down to my soul now chasing the light you're on stage with a variety of of factors that you can and may not be able to control um sometimes you can be on in ears which can be really nice because you can adjust what you want in them mm-hmm. you know you can have lower guitar a higher piano you can have more you less other people you can have this wonderful customized blend that makes it so that you can hear what it is what you need to hear without having to strain while you're performing which is wonderful but then there's a lot of other times where you don't have that where you are at the mercy of whatever's on a wedge and you might not even have a wedge speaker in front of you it might just only be in front of the lead singer and you have to strain for that or if you and then another time is when you're when you're being a singer especially if you're doing background vocal stuff you're usually going to be sat ne- or standing next to the drummer and or the guitarist. So with the guitar there's going to be a lot of cross frequency stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And with the drums it's just going to be they're loud. <laughs> they're loud. You know, sometimes they might have a plexiglass little island that they're on. Mm-hmm. Not very often. And even still if they're a very if they play very hard it's still going to get over that glass yeah. and into your ear. And so I can imagine over time you're going to start you know, you might start losing a little bit or you might start getting fatigue, you know. And I recognize that sometimes I'll get some fatigue, you know. Um and I can recognize it when I'm having to tell the the mixer, the board engineer person like, "Turn me up. No, I need more. No, I need more. No less than that." Like when it becomes this whole like cat and mouse chase of the faders, then I recognize, "Hmm." Something is is happening. And I think more often than not it's probably fatigue, but then as you get older, right? There's as a human, just like with eyes and everything else, things start to get a little less pristine. And so you're kind of hastening your <laughs> if you don't have the good ear protection or you don't know how to like sort that out, you're like hastening yourself to uh to not to no here town. Yeah. I just made that up. So I like that. No here town. Actually, I don't no like here it, town. But I like the phrase. So when I started talking to you, I wanted to be able to get ahead of that. So I don't end up becoming that singer that never sings in the right pitch or whatever. You know, I mean, we all have our days where we're like in general, we can't really we're not doing what we thought we should be doing for a variety of reasons. Fatigue, I mean, when you're a singer, your instrument is your body. Yeah. So, you know, any kind of pitchiness that you may have could be because you didn't sleep enough or you yep. had whiskey for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. 
<laughs> oh you man, know. that's good. Well, you know, we talked a lot about this already, but the the term like maturity, professional maturity that you brought to those initial situations that you found yourself mm-hmm. in. Um, maturity really, if we think about it, comes from making mistakes or getting burned and learning from those errors and right. finding out what to do, but also more importantly, what not to do in certain situations, right? To say like, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe I was a bit cavalier with this, or maybe I should be more forward, or maybe I really got to stick my foot in the door, or maybe stick my foot in the mouth, depending on what I do or say. Right. And the thing with your ears is that as we experience more and more years of music, more years of professional work, they also develop this maturity. And the maturity is both good because you can express yourself better and, and explore your music better and bring all your 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 taste and, and experience into each piece and say, like, here I'm quoting this, here I'm referencing this, here I'm uh, considering how this person would sing it, you know. Right. But also they physically are taking on a lot. And they're yes. getting burned in the process, just like we are when we make, you know, social faux pas and uh, closed doors and opportunities that we didn't mean to. Your ears are taking a lot of the brunt force. And, uh, you know, you mentioned it, that you came to me um, as I want to be ahead of this. I want to have a long career. Right. And, you know, this is the most common thing that I hear from from patients coming to me is like, how can I keep my career? How can I preserve these you know, flappy things on the side of my head so that I can keep going out there on stage and, and not be stressed about that. Why is it that you think that a lot of musicians don't have that mentality, don't have that kind of pre-thought or maturity to look towards longevity and, and worry about their ears in that same way? That is a great question. And there's a variety of reasons why I think that's the case. Um, one of which is I want to be a rock star. I don't need all this extra stuff. So there's that ego aspect of it. Like, I don't need this. I don't need that. You know, uh, there are older artists that still struggle. Like, they'll struggle with vocal issues or struggle with some hearing issues. And they still, to this day, won't go to a doctor to get a certain kind of hearing device properly or they mm-hmm. won't try to they're not you know um so there's that there's there's the rock star there's the ego and then there's also nobody is telling us how to do this thing like yes. the entertainment industry and being a musician especially there's no regulation to that you know it's not it's not like even you know I've experienced being a substitute teacher for a lot of years and mm. you sit down and they have orientation. They tell you everything you have to go through mm-hmm. and they tell you about making sure your health is up. They tell you about, you know, how you have to go and get a certain amount of shots and you have to all this kind of stuff. So there's like they they make sure that you know about the physical aspect of being in that career and with other careers. Similar thing. Right. Um, if you want to be like the rock was an athlete and I'll, I love him, so I'm going to bring him up. But The Rock is an athlete, right? So he, in order to be great at his craft, you know, to be a football player, to be a a wrestler, to to do stunts, he knew at an early age it takes a lot of of diligence with your physical health. You Mm -hmm. have to have physicals. You have to make sure you're having the right kind of diet and blah, 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 whatever. And that does not make you less of 
of a rock star. In fact, it makes you even cooler. Like if he's like, this is my meal plan. This is the doctor I go to. Everyone's like, yeah, rock and roll. But if you're a musician talking about, this is my meal plan. And this is, everyone's like, shut up. You're weak. You know? So that it's, it's not part of the culture. And it's also, we don't know about it. Like, I the things that I've learned about going to an ENT and then even the whole an an, an audiologist I didn't know those things existed. Yeah. They don't talk about that stuff. And then if you do hear something about an ENT, it's because someone had like throat cancer or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and they're a much older person, so now they have to go to this specialist because they have a condition. Versus if you are a musician, and especially if you are a singer. Because that is your body is your instrument. This is the medical team you have to have. These are the foods that you should probably try to have or the foods that you need to avoid. Like, you know, learning about acid reflux and all this kind of stuff. You don't know about that. I mean, when I was a kid, you knew about acid reflux reflux because some like man on a Tums commercial that's a that's a construction guy who eats fried, you know, pizzas all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's having Tums, you know? How or do you like see yourself in that though. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not working on a construction site eating <laughs> fried hoagies or something. Like that's not how I live my life. So that does not pertain to me. There's nothing about maintenance. And mm. then there's a taboo that I think over time will start to go away. But I, there's this yeah. taboo about taking care of your health. I mean, if you look at post-2020, mental health is an actual thing now where people talk about it openly. And it's not something that's like, oh, wow, you're something is wrong with you or, oh, you're just not strong enough or, oh, you haven't prayed hard enough or mm-hmm. whatever. Now it's like, Mental health is just a part of what you need to do to be a human being to exist and to have some longevity just Mm -hmm. to make it through life. So I think that's the same when it comes to the music industry. At some point in time, we are going to start taking health much more seriously and people are going to learn about that. Like I feel like those that I've spoken to that went to school for, for music... They, you're still not told about that aspect of it. You're taught theory. And then if you have a performance class, you're taught how to perform. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to take some kind of music business class, you can learn about the business. But they don't. there is no holistic part about first things first, you're a human being. Yeah. This is what you should do. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 
You know, you mentioned people who go to school. I mean, I went to audio engineering school, but it was um, almost 20 years ago now. Um, and we didn't learn anything about the ears. And now you're of, 25. Yeah, exactly. Um, we didn't learn anything about the ears. We didn't learn anything about hearing health, hearing wellness, protecting those who we work with, protecting the audience, not, not, none of that stuff. But it is starting to get talked about. So you're hitting on a thing there. I, I just keep thinking about, you know, the athletes, the rock, any athlete, doesn't have to be football, doesn't have to be contact sports, but any athlete, the first thing they learn is how to do what they're doing without injury. Mm-hmm. It's like part of the lexicon. It's part of the conversation. And then I think about dancers. Dancers learn how to move without injury. They learn how yes. to stretch to expand their range of motion so you don't get hurt. It's yes. just part of the conversation. And then I think about the the trained singers that I know, the ones who actually go through like formal training. A lot of what you guys do is to prevent injury. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to pre- like, yes, to improve your pitch or to improve your range or to improve, but a lot of it's to prevent injury because injury is the one thing that's going to stop you from actually performing, right? Yes. If your voice goes because you got laryngitis or because you got vocal uh, nodes or whatever else is going on, like you're going to be in, your career is then in jeopardy. So yes. why then is that not blanket statement for the rest of musicians? I mean, why? And my only, my only answer in my head is well, all of society has ignored mental health and, and we all have a how? brain. So like, how can we ignore mental health for all these years? So obviously all of musicians can ignore hearing health for all these years, mm-hmm. but just like mental health, we're all going to realize that I'm sorry, every musician's got ears and we got to take care of them. Yes. Well, and I think also now that even when you talk about produ- like music production, mm-hmm. now that music production is much more accessible to the general masses. I mean, you know, you can do music production on your phone, on the yep. train. Um, more people are going to be having headphones on. More yes. people are going to be mixing stuff or even just listening to music. You know, before there was no device to put on your ears to listen to music. You know, right. you had a boom box. And you held on to the boombox or it was in the room. Mm-hmm. And then once it got to like what the 80s when the headphones started coming, those only could get so loud. Exactly. You know, quality wasn't that great. Now we I mean, the most recent version of like Logic Pro X, you can make, you know, just like three dimensional multi-universal sound like yeah. on every access, not just X, Y. We got X, Y, Z, P, Q. All over the place. So this is, you know, bombarding your ears with like every frequency in the world. And now more people are probably in the, you know, starting to have more issues with hearing sooner. Yes. We're also in general living longer. So you're going to have more older people Mm -hmm. that have been listening to things for a long time. Yeah. Well, and then you have folks like, you know, we've now mentioned Elvis Costello approximately 75 times, but you have folks like him who started up in the 70s mm-hmm. uh, when before there was nothing before that there weren't these loud amplifiers and loud PA systems, like all that stuff was created in the late 60s and 70s. And so they had no generational knowledge that you and I now have where we yeah. can look at we can look at a rocker who is, let's say, and I don't want to be ageist, but let's let's say he's 60 or 70 years old and say they lived through 
30, 40 years of amplified mm-hmm. concerts. At the time, we didn't know better, but now we know better that that stuff is dangerous. And right. we can we can be more thoughtful. And then to take it on the flip side, you're on stage every night. The audience every member, night. how many times a year do they get to go see a big show? Once, mm-hmm. twice, three if they're lucky. You're on stage every night. You're every blasting. night. And especially if you were, like, if you think about, you know, Bon Jovi or John Bon Jovi specifically, he, I mean, his career began when it was like walls of amplifiers and yep. speakers and stuff. And there were no in-ears. And if there were wedges, there were like, how can they compete with what's going on there? Yep. So he has to listen to his own internal vibrations and try to sort that out with every frequency that's crossing on stage, every bass line, every drum mm-hmm. hit. You can imagine that over years, it gets that's going to gonna eventually take its toll. I mean, we have to turn the volume down just to find somebody's address on the street. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. So I, I think that, uh, you know, in time, it will be cooler to talk about preservation, mm-hmm. prevention, um, that audiologist isn't going to be this really cool thing to say. Audiologist, audiologist, cool, you know. Right? But <laughs> but it's gonna be like that's what we have in our in our resource bag. Yeah. Like these are the things that you need to have at some point in time. Maybe you can't start off and have this is my ENT and da da da. But you're gonna be aware of that that these services exist, mm-hmm. what they can provide, mm-hmm. and the things that you can do in the meantime while you're getting to a point where you can have access to these kind of people so that we can um, exist performing longer, especially those of us that that are like me, that mm-hmm. want to be untethered when we perform. You know, I want to ha- I would prefer to have a wireless mic. I want to be able to give and not just stand with the mic on on the mic stand and just, you know, I'm gonna sing a song mm-hmm. like you know. I want to rock out. How do I rock out mm-hmm. for longer? Yeah, yeah. How can you, we use the tools that have been potentially hurting us all these years to mm-hmm. instead protect us? And and then the flip side of that, and this is what I always love getting to, is we can use it to protect us, and then we can use it creatively to do something cool artistically. We can go beyond that. We can take this tool, the inner monitor, for instance. A lot of the audience doesn't realize that what you're listening through the inner monitor is different from what they're hearing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, I'm not saying necessarily with you guys, but sometimes the inner monitor mix for the musicians can have things like guide tracks, clicks, additional notes for bands that don't get long rehearsal times. They can be a person off to the side saying, hey, the chorus is coming up. Oh, like, yeah, the music literally. director. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, it turns something that we, we initially just thought this is for a safety thing. And now it turns into like, how can we use the safety tool to not only protect our ears, but make the show better and make the mm-hmm. performer's experience better? got into music not because you had this like i want to be on stage i want to be a performer i want to i want my name and lights you know that classic thing you got into it because you just do music and people gravitate towards hearing somebody who's just doing what they love 
and just, you know, even if there wasn't an audience there, she was going to be singing anyway. Oh, for real? That's you know? literally me. Yeah. That is and so me. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's magnetic in that sense, right? People gravitate towards it's magnetic. And so, I don't know, it, it, it goes back to a, a thought that I'm... I'm not smart enough to articulate correctly, but probably the listeners can get there. You're which very is like, smart. <laughs> listeners, don't let him say this stuff no more. He but is like, so smart. <laughs> but this is, thank you, but this is why musicians' ears are so important. Even if we don't, as a musician, recognize it, it's because you're you're creating this magnanimous, see, I can't even get that word out, so I can't be that smart. Uh, Very smart. This magnetic. I don't know words. I don't know how to do the word sometimes <laughs> you're, myself. You're creating this good in the world that just needs to be there, and it really helps people live their lives. It really helps the world be be awesome. Mm. We want musicians to never lose that ability. So protecting your ears and protecting your hearing should be as bedrock of a concept as the athlete or the rock protecting their body and not, not getting injured or as a vocalist protecting their voice. So anyway, I got there in the end. <laughs> we love it. I was following when you every, I can't even say words. Like I was following when you every day. Yeah. We're both losing our words. Boy, did we just try whiskey for the first time together? That's crazy. Yes. First time. <laughs> highballs. <laughs> nice. I mean, when I was a little kid, I was raised on a lot of different types of music and one of which was like specifically Nigerian Afrobeat stuff. But it's not, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I, I'm very horrible at explaining my own music. That's my, my project. It's called American Refugee. Awesome. The concept of it is really, at first, before 2020, the concept was about just being a black person, being a black woman in America, being a weirdo person that doesn't particularly <laughs> line up with what I'm supposed to be doing, I guess. You know, where do I go? There's me, and there's a part of me that feels like I don't belong here, but then where do mm. I belong? And, you know, the whole concept of how refugees are often treated, mm. it started to take on way more color when 2020 happened. Because mm -hmm. then there was all of the, the civil rights things that were happening uh, against black people. And then even on a broader uh, situation with Americans in general, there were so many Americans that felt like, dude, do we need to leave here? Yeah. And if so, where do we go? And where will we be accepted? Where is safe for us? You know, who will have us? Exactly. I think I was touring with Engelbert Humperdinck. So this is before the, the election, the 2016 mm -hmm. election, before that. And I was traveling the world and Obama was still the president. I toured before Obama was the president and I toured while he was the president. While Obama was the president, I was a straight up rock star because people, because Obama being the president and Obama coming off as like cool and agreeable and not mm -hmm. trying to at least outwardly initiate shenanigans. Mm -hmm. I don't know what pol politicians do behind closed doors, and I know that no politician is perfect, and there's a lot of choices that we may not enjoy that sure, they have sure. to make. I'm glad that I'm not the president. I don't want to be. No, no, terrible job. <laughs> yeah, like, why would I? That's crazy. Let me just, let me yeah. sing these songs, and let me just be really loud and strong yeah. about what it is, and it only affects the people that pay attention to me, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But anyways... When I was traveling while he was the president, people would see me and they'd be like, oh, 
oh my gosh, you're like Obama. And they want to take pictures with me. They're so excited to meet like their first black person. It was cool. It wasn't. And like before, before him though, there was suspicion and confusion. It was yeah. just like, why is she here? What's happening? Mm. Um, I was on tour before, before Obama was a president. I went to Serbia I don't remember where I was, Belgrade maybe? I forgot where I was in Serbia. And I was the only black person in the band at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's just a big mass group of us because there was like horn players and everything in Engelbert's band at the time. And we're walking around and there's this courtyard and people are eating food and kids are doing stuff and people are in their shops and, you know, there's two two floors or two or three floors to these old world looking shops. I mean, we're from America, so everything yeah. is old world. Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the oldest world we have is like New England. Like, wow. So oh. <laughs> that story's been there for 130 years. <laughs> exactly. Wow. wow, that's ancient history. There were dinosaurs. <laughs> so like, we don't know. But it was old world looking to me. This was very, very quaint, very like we're on some white lotus situation happening <laughs> over here. There was this group of I want to say they're maybe like teenagers. You know, everybody in this courtyard is white or whatever Serbian people consider themselves to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, well, looking around, this is kind of cool. I'm with my group. And like, I am a black person. I'm obviously black. I see myself in the mirror. I know what I look like. But I don't think about it all the time. Like, I'm not like, guess what? I'm going to the grocery store as a black person. Like, I'm not thinking about that. I'm mm-hmm. literally me inside my body. I feel like most people are them inside their body. Sure. You know what I mean? So I was me inside my body. This was a moment of me being just me observing. And one of the kids in the group that was walking in front of us sees me and their jaw drops and they continue to walk backwards in the direction that their friends are walking. And they're just looking dead at me like, what is happening? So then they tap the shoulders of their friends and all of them turn around. They're all walking backwards looking at me. Like So I've got me and my group moving forward. And they're going in that same direction. They're just walking backwards mm. gawking at me. And then I guess that caught on. And next thing you know, this whole courtyard has stopped. Everybody is looking at me. I mean... You know, in the beginning of Beauty and the Beast, where she's walking in the around in town, and people open up the like shutter things, sure. and they're like, "Oh, bonjour!" Like this happened. Like people open up the shutter windows of their shops, the second floor, and they're all looking at me. So uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. So I had that going on. But then when Obama was president, people were like, oh, "Hey!" And they were excited to see me. So even if I shut down a place, people will want to line up to take pictures with me. Like they want to meet me. Like you're like Obama. And before, I want to say a, a month or so before election time, they were like, people would randomly come up to me. They wouldn't come up to anybody else, but they would come up to me and they would say, please don't let your com- your country vote for that man. Please, 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 please. It was such an interesting dynamic where before I was kind of like the strange leper that just walked onto the courtyard. And now I'm like the celebrity that people trust to relay the information that my country needs to hear. So interesting. And then 2020, all hell broke loose. And I felt like American Refugee is a message that not only relates to me, but now it can resonate with gang of other people yeah. in, in the country. Like, 
how how do we fix this thing? Where do we go? I mean, my project is not going to be this whole like down down with the man. You know, a lot of the stuff is going to be more under the guise of of a relationship thing because I feel like everything is a relationship dynamic. Mm -hmm. But this is me expressing who I am and expressing like the times Mm -hmm. in a way that's not necessarily beat you over the head. Um, But I'm really excited about it. I'm very close to being done with my songs and I hope that people enjoy it even if they just want to bop their head to some stuff. Now, Kitten, you and I, we actually met through Music Cares and through Tune. I don't know if there's anything you want to say about that. I think that, first of all, I think Music Cares is awesome. You know, I when the pandemic hit, there were a lot of people that I know that got some help from them. There were, when those fires came through in, in California, there were a lot of musicians that lost their homes. They lost their studios and Music Cares helped with some of that. Um, and then... As far as learning more about hearing health, that is through Music Cares as well. I mean, obviously the in-ears, I found out about that because I needed to have in-ears to start working at that at the level that I was working at. But, you know, when I was, when I worked Head in the Clouds, when I was singing Head in, singing in Head in the Clouds, I'm going to say the year before last or earlier this year, I can't remember, Music Cares had a booth in the VIP village and they were like, we will do custom ear molds and, and, they were telling us why this is important. And I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing, you know? And then I got the email from Music Cares about the tuned program Mm -hmm. and then being able to connect with an audiologist. So if it wasn't for them, I would not have met you. I wouldn't even know that you and your kind (laughs) audiologist exist. So there's definitely something to say about education or enrichment or being able to prolong our career and then just you know the resources that they have to connect you with cool people like yourself is awesome I've been asking a lot of my guests this because it's a it's a curious question. It's something that we don't often think about. It, it, it kind of goes back to like this whole conversation that we've been having about like how we don't teach people about their ears. We don't teach people about hearing health. And so the question is, what's your favorite sound? Ooh, 
what's my favorite sound? That's amazing. Has anybody ever asked you that before? No. Isn't that, isn't that weird? It's so weird, but it's like a good question. Wow. Yeah. What is my favorite sound? Obviously, it changes. Wow. First of all, so much of this world is music to me. Mm. I mean, the dang washing machine. Yeah. Things that aren't musical instruments that are great sounds to me. When I was a kid, something that I loved to hear. So I used to live in this town called Rialto. And we would have what are called the Santa Ana winds, which mm. are always like, oh, the Santa Ana winds are coming in. And they're just very, very strong winds. It's not hurricane level kind of stuff. It's not tornado level, but they're very strong winds. Like they can knock down some fences or if you've got like a mobile home, sometimes they can knock that over. But we had this chimney. They would always be in like the fall time, fall, winter time. And we had a fireplace. And one of those fireplaces that are like those idyllic 80s homes with the little the stones on them that were all kind of jig, jig, zigzaggy and everything, you know, that kind of thing. In the early morning or late at night, the wind would howl through it. You would hear the wind whoosh everywhere, which sounds very cool. But then you would hear it come through the chimney and it was like it sounded like wolves. Oh, cool. And I loved it. I love that. And another sound that I, why am I doing this to myself? You said one sound. There's too many no, sounds. No, no, but no, another I, sound I, that I love. Okay. A friend Whenever times were tough or I was sad, I would go to her house. Mm -hmm. Her house was a very peaceful house to me. And she would have like the window open just a little bit so you can hear outside. So you can hear like mm. the whoosh of the cars. You know, that almost sounds like an ocean if your eyes are closed. Mm -hmm. She had a little cat and her roommate had a, a little American bulldog. And there'd be a little cat at my feet an American bulldog just resting by my head. And you'd hear the street whoosh, and she had wind chimes and you could hear the little, the tinkle, light tinkle of the wind chimes. The chimney howls and the street whooshing with the wind chimes knowing that there's these beautiful animals just resting at my feet. Those are like two of my, well, I like want to cry, but they're my, <laughs> they're two sounds that are, I just, I just love it. Like just the, the acoustics of life, you know, yeah, like yeah. putting your head on somebody's chest and feeling their heartbeat while they are, you know, peacefully breathing, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Hearing like little children running, like toddlers trying to run. <laughs> that's so, I don't have any children, run. but that's so cute to me. You know, the little, the little <laughs> the pitter patter, the pitter patter. That's those are my favorite sounds. The, the sounds of the world. And yeah. that is something that I kind of want to incorporate into my project too. just like, yeah. The sounds, environmental yeah. sounds, because that's that's the first music that you hear as Completely. when you're in somebody's mm -hmm. body. You hear mm -hmm. the whooshing of blood that sounds like mm -hmm. oceans. I'm sure you hear their voice. You know the the little. You don't even know what they're saying, but you you know those kinds of things. That's beautiful. The things that kind of take me into myself, but then at the same time connect me. With everything. Yeah. My favorite. I, I hope that answers your question. Oh, it does in spades. I mean, like the idea of both those two first ones, right? That 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 soundscape, that natural soundscape inside a comfortable, safe environment, 
childhood home, listening to the wind, but knowing you're safe. Mm-hmm. They, they have such a connection, except for the toddlers running. The, the other ones all have this like specific <laughs> connection to like that feeling that, that you only get like with a deep exhale. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's kind of what the feeling that I just got hearing you tell those, yeah. those, uh, those scenes. That's interesting that you put it like that. It's almost like you are, there's, there's this level of chaos that's happening, but you know, you're like safe. <laughs> our whole, our whole mood just changed so drastically, just talking about those calm moments and sounds. <laughs> and if we, if we drink in the sounds of the world more. More than just when we went to go see a movie or went to go see a concert. If we really drank in the sounds of of the world, like you just explained, we would then, I think, protect our ears more because we would Mm -hmm. recognize and and connect those two things. Like these things give me such peace and joy and comfort and connection. Yeah. And I want to make sure they stick with me for all all my years on this this sometimes lonely, sometimes beautiful planet, right? Yeah. Um, This was a blast for me. Likewise. It's been a a huge blast to get to know you, (laughs) to uh, speak to you about your ears, about your music. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to do this as well. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. You know, I'm a random person off the street, but thank you for... Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. The show is produced and edited by Juan Vazquez, Mary Kim, and myself, Frank Wardinger. The theme music is by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. Thanks for listening.